Before we get to the podcast, I have a gift for you. I love bringing hope to you each week through this podcast. Hope is such a beautiful gift and one that I definitely like to share. For the times in my life when I needed hope, I open my Bible and allow God's Word to speak to me. As a gift of hope to you, I've created a prayer journal, Seven Days to Refuel Your Hope. This journal shares my journey through some of the most hopeless times in my life and the biblical verses that brought me back to hopefulness. My prayer for you is that this journal will help you to refuel, refresh, and realign your hope. You can download this free journal by visiting my website, dianebells.com, or clicking on the link in the show notes. Those with epilepsy and seizures are three times more likely to commit suicide than the general population. We feel isolated. We feel separate from everybody else. We feel different. We feel like, like even though it's not specifically said that we can't, how we're treated make us feel that way. ever felt hopeless, like nothing good could ever happen again? Well, I have. And that's why I created The Hope Station. Each week, you will hear amazing stories of hope from people just like you. People who have transformed disastrous, disappointing, and depressing events in their lives into messages of hope. Turning tragedy to triumph, pain to purpose, crisis to new careers all through the power of hope. So sit back, relax, and pull into the Hope Station, the place where you can refuel, refresh, and realign your hopes and dreams. Statistics definitely have a way of getting our attention and piquing our interest. They also are valuable tools for us to say there's something here that needs to be done. My guest today, Courtney Frazier, stepped into that space as an advocate for individuals with epilepsy and also those struggling with suicidal tendencies. She is persistent, she's powerful, and she is definitely an inspiration. So thank you so much, Courtney, for joining me today, and I would love to hear the rest of your story. All have felt times of hopelessness, and what I would like to share to you is a free prayer journal, Seven Days to Hope, that I have written. It shares my stories of hopelessness and the prayers that I use to get me through that time. So if you are interested, you can find the link to my website that has this offer for you. So let's get back to hearing the rest of Courtney's story. I have multiple disabilities. I have a traumatic brain injury, a learning disability, and epilepsy. And all of those come with their own form of mental health problem. I was diagnosed with epilepsy when I was 15 okay. at the end of my eighth grade year. So I was starting to trans I was transitioning from middle school to high school in the fall of 99. So I was going through two transitions at the same time because I had a life before without epilepsy and now having to get used to taking meds and figuring out what life is like 
with epilepsy and like feeling all alone and like my story like my story didn't matter my voice didn't matter and then to my junior and senior year um there was this program that I learned about through my speech therapist that um at the school that people with disabilities in high schools can go to elementary and middle schools to talk about their experiences to the kids. So I started advocating back then, but I just didn't really get that much into it because I was still in school and I didn't really feel like that was my time or place to be advocating because I still didn't have, feel like I had that voice in me. You said you were 15. How was it before this diagnosis of epilepsy? What was the difference of in your life? Before, like, I could be... Even though I had other disabilities, I could be like the other kids. I could go to dances. I could and not worry about strobe lights. I could go out with them doing fire drills. Whereas mm-hmm. afterwards, because strobe lights could could trigger my seizures, I had to go out before the planned fire drills, like before everybody else. And then I d- had to decide not to go to dances because I didn't know if there were going to be strobe lights. That make you feel knowing that there was this difference that you had than the other kids. And it's hard to be different in high school anyway. And how did it feel for you then? It was, it was definitely hard, but like, I honestly, when I was first diagnosed in middle school, I didn't tell my friends that I had epilepsy because I lose them. But once they saw me have seizures and they knew, like I didn't lose them, thankfully. But like, you never know because there is that stigma. And like, you don't know how they will feel and what they will do. And I was trying to protect myself at the same time as trying to be honest, which doesn't always work. (laughs) You can't do both at the same time. No. (laughs) So what a wonderful thing that your friends supported you. So that's, that's a blessing in itself. Yeah. So then what was your, your next step? My next step was to... Um, figure out like what that meant for driving too because like at least in the United States you have to go like between anywhere from six months to a year or three months to a year be- since your last seizure okay. before you can drive. So that frustration again that people are doing things easily and that wasn't Courtney's path. Right. So did you get your license? Yeah. I did when I finally when I was 19. So what happened after that, after high school? I went off to community college and mm-hmm. got associate's degree. Then I transferred to a four-year college and got my four-year degree. And what's that in? Um, my bachelor's is in sociology. My associate's is in early childhood education. That's one thing I didn't like about sociology. They're like, oh, you can do anything with it. Uh, hello? <laughs> Tell me one thing I can do with the degree. Doesn't say I can do anything. Well, it doesn't, it gives you some skills, but it doesn't give you job skills, right? Right. <laughs> so what do you do now? You're an advocate and author. Let's talk a little bit about your, which one do you want to talk about first? Um, The advocate. Because because like I said, in high school, I did a little bit of advocacy because I talked about my experience to elementary and middle school kids. And then I also 
honestly, there were times that they had us talk to the incoming teachers about um, our experiences. That was more intimidating than talking to the students, honestly, because honestly, the teachers were older than us. And it was like, how do you talk to a teacher when you're a student? Some might have thought the opposite would be true. Talking to the kids about this would be very scary. And you're saying, no, it was the teachers. Yeah. (laughs) You were teaching the teachers. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, how do you, like, how do you explain it to the teachers? Like what you went through? And because I did have teachers that pull me or my parents that I would never graduate high school. How did that feel when someone was saying a message, you're not going to graduate high school? What did that do? I was upset, honestly, but then I used it as more motivation to prove them wrong. Okay, good. And because a lot of people could use it as self-fulfilling prophecy, and a lot of them do, being like, okay, I'm told I can't do this, so I won't be able to, you know? Okay, and you proved them wrong. Yeah. And there were even teachers in high school saying, like, if she takes a foreign language, she won't graduate high school. So they were putting limitations on you. So did you take Mm -hmm. that foreign language? No. Like, my parents wanted to be safe and, like, make sure I graduated high school, which also annoyed me because I couldn't take AP. Like, they told us not to take AP classes from me, too. Like, I'm just like, why am I being told what I can't do? you know, and okay. so what I can. But what like, can you do with the advocacy? What have you done so far with that advocacy? With In high school, obviously, I talked to this uh, youngest students and said, this is how you treat us, like others with disabilities. And then I told the, the students with disabilities how to ask for help. Because that's one thing I had trouble with was I'd ask for help, but then the teachers would get on me for asking for help and be like, that would make me feel like I can't reach out for help. You're getting mixed messages there. Yeah. So like, I wanted to let those with disabilities know they can reach out to the teachers that are fellow classmates if they don't okay. understand something. Um, and then I want years without advocating anything. Mm. And then, how did that feel when you, did you feel like you lost your voice in some way or? Yeah, because I was going back to feeling like I had no voice and I was just writing. And then I, last year, I went to the hospital with, for my own health and I had two breakthrough seizures because I was off of meds for almost four years and four months the seizures. And then I had breakthrough seizures and I got put back on meds. So yes, I felt down and like, why is this happening again? But then November came around, which in the United States is Epilepsy Awareness Month. So I posted every single day on my timeline about epilepsy and like what it entails. And Mm -hmm. then I started doing it every day from then on because I wanted to show my friends on Facebook, this is how my day seizure free I am. And then show my thoughts about like what it takes. It's not because it's not just seizures. It's a lot of other stuff too. Side effects of meds, like depression, anxiety, suicidal thinking. All of that because of the meds? 
well, meds and having a biopsy to combine, like all okay. of it. And then I was like, this is not enough. Like, because one thing I did last June was start doing Facebook lives after one of my friends kept trying to get me to do it and I kept saying no. But she finally friends. got me to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> So like, why was she encouraging you to do Facebook lives? What was she seeing in Courtney that Courtney wasn't yet seeing? She knew that like based on the posts I was typing that I was an inspiration and that like I could be inspiring and help others and see that their stories are important. And then in February of this year, I learned about a bill for CJSA schools in Maryland where it requires each school, public and private, to have at least two staff members for school trained in seizure recognition and seizure first aid, which is definitely helpful because I didn't have that when I was in middle school and high school. Like They literally just took me to the hospital every time I had a seizure even though my parents said that wasn't necessary. So I felt like it was important to tell my story and how I didn't feel safe at school. And yet I didn't have the option back then to stay home either because we didn't have the technology back then right? that we do today. So I literally had to go to school, had to go to school despite not feeling safe. But what made you not feel safe? Well, my school was under construction renovation for three out of my four years. So we were probably breathing in some pretty bad stuff, honestly. Okay. But um, it wasn't just that. It was, we had a lot of unplanned fire trails because of it too. So like I had to pick between taking the stairs with everybody else and seeing the strobe lights on the fire alarm. Staying in this classroom where like if it were a real fire, fire personnel would come get us and help us down the stairs. Those aren't safe options. And then between classes every day, I had only had um, to shoot from the top floor to the main floor or the bottom floor. I only had stairs or elevator to choose from. You could fall down the stairs if you have a seizure, but at least there would be other people that were there because everybody takes the stairs between classes. The elevator, like I felt unsafe because what if I was on it by myself and had a seizure? There was no one to help. What would this bill have done for you if you were in high school? How would it made your high school years a little bit differently? You would have felt safer. Yeah. The, what else? The staff would have been trained and known like that I was having seizures and they would have recognized that I wasn't I, because I was blamed once for faking a seizure. How would anyone come up with that? Like, how do you fake that? You have to be a pretty good actress, right? To do right. It. And I was just like, and twice I said no. And then they sent my parents out of the room and I like felt forced to say yes. So I had a false. It. Yeah. I'm just like, really? I say no twice and you don't believe me. Yeah, do you don't believe me until you say yes. Like it was a false confession. Like it was forced. So uh, that that just amazes me that 
anyone would think that anyone would fake it because I'm I I've never yeah. been around someone having a seizure that I can remember and it maybe I have and just saying that's not something that you would want to do like right. lose all control of your body fall down you could hurt yourself yeah let me do that were you yeah. trying to get out of a test like what would they think <laughs> that you, you were faking it well I will that class that they claimed I faked it and I did have a test and they knew I didn't study for the test. But still, why would anybody fake a seizure? I was also accused by paramedics that I faked a seizure at my church. I probably was just coming out of it when they got there. Right. You know? And then I was accused of going, when I was 17 and I came for people with epilepsy by a neurologist of a faking seizures a neurologist a doctor how did that make you feel to feel like someone wasn't believing you and these are qualified a paramedic and a neurologist should be qualified people why would you want to be faking epilepsy i don't know like and again with the neurologist they said are you faking it and multiple times they said no and then finally one time i said yes just so he'd stop asking i was just like I can't put up with this questioning anymore, you know? Seems more like an interrogation. Yeah, it was like as if they were cops and like. You committed a crime of epilepsy. Yeah. <laughs> Let me read you your rights. Yeah, exactly. So, you can, so, okay, that's a good reason why you would be advocating for other teens. Yeah. So this speech therapist of yours saw that you had a voice and now you're using it. So how did you go about advocating? Tell I, I don't know what advo- advocacy uh, looks like. Like, what did you do uh, to help this? So I actually found out from a Facebook friend that they've been trying to pass this since 2019. And I just found okay. out about the bill this year. So then I reached out to the person that started the bill and I I actually missed the day to testify in front of the delegates, but I made sure I was able to testify in front of the senators in February. Okay. But as, literally, as soon as I got that email with the Zoom link, I was thinking, I should back out. I should back out. <laughs> and... Was it more scary than the teacher conversation? <laughs> yeah, because I've never done it before. And then I was okay. like, no, you signed up to do this. You'd rather do this. Like, this is how much I've changed. You'd rather do a spoken one. Than, you said you'd rather do a spoken one than a written one. Because in the past, I would just write it. Right. Not want to speak. So I was like, Wow. I'd rather speak than write. Like, okay, then I might as well do it. And I got on, and the chair of the committee said, when I was done talking, thanked me for my very personal story. And I was like, wow. I wasn't expecting that, you know? (laughs) But how did it feel to have your voice back? It felt so good because I realized I do. Like, I have a... No, I don't just have a written voice because I would always just write poems, but I have a spoken voice too. And that's what I want to show others with disabilities. They don't 
have to hide their spoken voices or their own voices. Because some don't even think they can write. And it's just like, stop listening to what you thought growing up. Stop praying women, like, Stop putting those limitations on yourself. Stop listening to the limitations you were given by society. Let's break free of them. What do you think made you, because even as a young girl in high school, you were talking about this. What gave you to say no to those limitations and no to those beliefs that they were putting into you, that they were trying to tell you how your life was going to be? What do you think gave you that strength to, to fight back when you're saying others don't? I I think honestly, what gave me the strength was everything I have been through because I've been like I've had to go through a lot. Like okay. Plus I was working for my black belt, first degree black belt in Taekwondo at the same time. And one of the tenets of Taekwondo is perseverance. So I'm like, okay, I have to put this to use in life too and I was like okay I'm going to do this I'm going to I might not want to do the um what the program was called was Montgomery Exceptional Leaders we always called it Mel for short M-E-L so um and I was happy that like at least someone even though it was a speech and language pathologist saw in me that I could go out there and talk to others about it. Because like that helped gain some confidence being like, okay, somebody sees in me this spoken voice that I thought I didn't have. And it's like, you can do this, you should do this, you know, like just that little extra push, like with the Facebook lives. Right. So people believing you and see the power of you, you had two different, I guess, ideas of who Courtney was or who Courtney could be. And you had one side saying, yes, you have a voice and we want to hear that voice. And another side saying, don't. Why do you think people were saying don't? What do you, what do you think the reason behind the, the don'ts were? Or you can't, you shouldn't do that. I think it's just how... We, like, those with disabilities are brought up in society, like, we feel isolated, we feel separate from everybody else, we feel different, we feel like, like, even though it's not specifically said that we can't, like, use our spoken voices, how we're treated make us feel that way. Like, a lot of us are bullied or made fun of. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and when we try to stick up for ourselves, like it doesn't work. So why would we want to do any speaking from that point on? So there, there was this almost feeling I should just give up. No one's going to listen. Nothing's going to change. But then this other thing, why did you go into Taekwondo or whatever? Yeah. Why did you choose that? And when you think about that, here's someone, you know, that voice is saying, just you, whatever, just stop talking. No one's going to listen. Nothing's going to change. And then you made a decision, I guess, to, to get your black belt and just honoring this commitment that you made of being persistent 
That's a that's a good combination. Like you had two right. forces and you chose one force to push back the other yeah. force. Um with the Taekwondo, originally my parents put me in it and I like the first few classes, I'm like, I don't like this, you know? I don't because like anything that you're learning for the first few times is like this is hard. This is not fun. But then as I got the belts and like there was belts I missed on the first try, a lot of them. And I was like, each time I was like, I should just give up. I should just stop. And, but then I remembered that I had friends that were one belt away from their black belt and they didn't quit. Okay. And I'm like, what does it show if I quit? What does it show if I give up right now? Plus, the main instructor of the school that I went to said to me, knowing fully well that I was disappointed that I missed another belt on the first try. He said to me, I missed my white belt on the first try. I'm thinking, well, I didn't miss my white belt on the first try. So, like, just knowing that he missed a belt on the first try, like, like, but made me like, okay, I'm not the only one that misses it on the first try. And then one after one of my classes, I saw this kid like crying. So I went up to him and his family, total stranger, right? And I'm like, what's wrong? And they said, he just missed his belt on his first try. I'm like, I get it. I missed a lot of my belts on my first try. Keep going. You can get there. And like just being able to give back in the way that the head instructed gave right. me like felt so good because knowing that I was able to pass it forward and be like you can do this I'm almost there you can do it too and I did the same thing when I was studying to become a teacher like I went back to the first elementary school I was at and I told them that I was at that school too and now I'm in college you mm-hmm. can do this like just giving that little extra push saying don't listen to those people that say you can't show them that you can well there were people who were advocating for you yeah your speech therapist and even your uh the the teacher or the uh for the taekwondo i don't know why i'm having trouble saying that word uh that they were advocating for you so now you have this voice you let's go back to you were sitting (laughs) you were doing a zoom call Someone thanked you for it. And what did that feel like? Again, you were overcoming this fear. Here's another hurdle you had to jump over and you did it. How did it feel even if that person didn't tell you you did a good job? It felt empowering and invigorating. Like as soon as I got off, I was like, this is so invigorating. Like, (laughs) And then the next week, I was always signed up to advocate for mental health spoils. So probably was a pretty busy <laughs> two weeks for me, February 3rd and February okay. 10th. Um, and I wasn't so scared because I did it before, you know, I was like, okay, I can do this. Like, I don't have to back out. I can, even though it's about a different thing, I still deal with this issue. So I can talk about my experience and right. get these bills passed. Like, Obviously, I didn't know when I was advocating for them that they'd be passed this year, but like 
you know, I had that feeling that some of them would be. So you, uh, there was more than one that your advocacy helped get passed? Yeah, there oh, was okay. the seizure safe <laughs> schools one. And then there was, there were several mental health ones. The main one was the trust fund for 988, which is like the 911 for mental health crises now that's coming out in July. Okay. Across the nation. In the US. What, so, what is it? I'm sorry. What did they give you? The trust fund? It, it's money so we can, Maryland can have the 988 number instead of having to call all these different places like 911, crisis centers, you know, so we don't have to go to a lot of different numbers. We can just call 988 and then they will connect us to what okay. we need to be. To do. So it, that's that's designated just for mental health issues. Yeah. Okay. And what did you do to get that passed? Is that another? That's what the one of the many mental health ones that NAMI National Alliance for Mental Illness like helped get through um, on Advocacy Day, um, and then. Each step of the way, there's these what they call action items, and you have to contact the legislators saying, this is needed and this is why. And, okay. and it's a long process, and it's so hard to like have to get those action items and be like, I have to tell my story again, but written this time, <laughs> like, how many times am I going to have to do this? Well, that, that the more you do it, the better you get at it, right? Yeah. But, like, seizure safe schools, I did, like, at least 10 times, probably more than that. And then the 988, I did went one more time after I spoke, so. Okay. But, like, I was just, because it's such a long process. Like, it goes to the original chamber. It goes through three reads, a vote in the committee. Vote in the whole, um, the whole, right. either the Senate or the delegates. Then it goes to the other chamber, <laughs> goes through the same process. And then if there's differences, then they have to come together. Both chambers have to come together in an agreement. Then it passes, and then it goes to the governor, and then he either signs it or vetoes it. And it's just like, it doesn't sign it at all. And then... Well, that's an exhausting process. <laughs> it was. So and it was slow they, at some points. <laughs> so each time that they're going through, that that was the 10 different times you told your story? Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you were patient. And then let's just <laughs> say you the other P word that you were taught, persistent. You weren't yeah. going to give up. Why weren't you going to give up? Because I, I know like how important these bills are like the 988 because like in September I had to call my local crisis center. Okay. And then my local crisis team came to me with cops. And that's one of the things we're trying to avoid now for my health crisis is, is not to have cops come. Yeah. You've been interrogated enough about this, right? You don't need right. cops on the well, scene. The, the cops, and also, like, what I told them about the mental health was the cops came with the crisis center, and they were just watching me. 
they didn't notice that the neighbors were watching on and looking on and like making me even more uncomfortable. So they didn't protect me or serve me. They were just serving the rest of the community. And I'm just like, what good is it? I'm not part of the community. I might be having trouble with mental health right now, but why can't you protect me and tell them to go back in their houses? That that's really good advice because at times we think we're doing the right thing and we tend to forget the person that we, we showed up to help. Yeah. And you were that person. So you can see I that- mean, I didn't even I didn't talk to them about it. I was mm-hmm. just like, I felt so bad afterwards. I'm just like, why didn't they protect me? You know? And my privacy. That's true. So you're you're just fighting. You're advicating. You're fighting. Yeah. You're showing, sharing your story. And how and are you I'm going doing to continue it because to do I that? couldn't do it for my that I felt bad that I didn't do it for myself, you know. So I okay. feel like I have to do it for others and be like, this is why it's needed. And for others, because a lot of us not- probably feel like we can't speak up to the cops. Right. To do that. So how else are you, how's that tying in the advocacy and the, the, uh, being an author as well? Um, being, so I published technically two books of poetry. One is on its way to being published, but the second book had errors. I have to figure out how to fix those. So, um, and then I did, and it, the third book is stories based poems based on my life. Okay. So it's showing like so it shows in a sense of progression because the first one was this poems about different things, like but not so deep. And then the mm-hmm. second one was based on the theme. But it still wasn't like deep. It was just simple poems. The third one is more deep because it's actually parts of my story and like how I felt about them and showing people that for these things, at least those that are in the book, book, they aren't alone. They aren't alone in having to deal with mental health issues or suicidal thinking or is lost to suicide because i lost in 2019 a church friend to suicide i lost and then i found out recently that i lost a classmate to suicide in 2015 a high school classmate and just that shock and that sting and that pain that sticks with you like and then you analyze like the relationship you analyze the pictures because you know, like, they look so happy. Like, what is it that caused mm-hmm. them to be that desperate and feel like they weren't able to get the help? At least I knew, like, many years ago, if I had the same problem that I did in September of last year, I would probably not been here. Because, but I was seeing a therapist since 2020. So I knew I could reach out to her. I even though I was afraid to tell her what I was thinking because I knew she'd call. Right. The, um, because she's mandated to. Uh, but I knew that, that was the best thing because if I didn't tell her, originally my plan was to 
not tell her and then call her two days later and say, I have the pills in my hand right now. And then I'm like, that wouldn't be fair to her or me. Having to wait two days, like me waiting two days to do it. And then calling her and saying, and I knew she would have said, why didn't you tell me two days ago that you were planning this? So I, I came out right out front on September 9th saying, on Saturday, I'm planning on overdosing on pills. When my parents, both of my parents aren't here. So he, he walked you out of that. What happened? So the mobile crisis team from my county came. They talked to me. Like they came with cops, which and then the cops called an ambulance and then a fire truck came too. I'm just like, really? Do I really need cops, a fire truck, and an ambulance, and the crisis team? Whatever, really. I don't know why the fire truck came, but <laughs> you're like, okay, I can understand that one, that one, that one, that one. Not really sure. <laughs> yeah. But I guess they have some medical training too. And to see mm-hmm. if you really need the ambulance or what, but yeah. And it was just well, like, it was crazy. <laughs> so how did you get out of that space? And then when you look at that September and then in February, you're standing up and advocating. What transpired in those months that gave you that capacity from saying, I just want to end my life to not only am I saving my life, I want to help others save theirs. Um, so it, there were multiple steps. I actually, a couple of weeks later, I participated in one of the out of the darkness walks, AFSP. And then you, um, I don't know what it, something for suicide prevention and because I really like, I was like, Oh my gosh, I was this close. And I, at that point, I only knew about one person that I knew that died by suicide. So I knew how important it was. Right. And then the next step was obviously posting every day in November about epilepsy awareness. Then the next step was, okay, I'm only giving myself till December to feel depressed and stuff about having to be on back on seizure meds and being in the hospital for mental health and having to be transferred to medical because of seizures. Then in January, I was still posting about seizures, like free days. And I was telling other parts of my story throughout that time in post, in post. And then in February, when I found out about the I was like, okay, it's time to actually get out there and go on these things and talk about my experience and not be afraid anymore. Mm-hmm. And I've done walks for epilepsy every single year since 2007. It started as, out as national walks, but now right. it's just local walks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, just being able to raise the money for the foundations, being able to get out there and be like, I have this. I started seeing some of my friends on Facebook posting about their experiences with mental health and epilepsy. And I'm like, wow, just one person doing it. And then now there's a whole set of people doing it. 
And also in March, I started becoming an epilepsy awareness ambassador. So like there were other, like there were a lot of steps that got me to where I am like today where I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can be, yeah, it's just a volunteer position, but it's getting me more comfortable with putting things out there and being like, this is who I am. It's made me who I am. You know, if I had a choice of going through all this stuff that I've been through or not going through it, honestly, I wish I'm glad I went through this stuff because it made me who I am. And in the past, I've been like, I don't, I wish I didn't go through it, you know, but now I'm like, I'm glad I did because some of these things I found out that they were blessings in disguise because the mental health and the epilepsy. Like I met other people along the way that like I was on a mission trip in Peru, Cusco, Peru in 2011. Met a boy with seizures and we were able to tell him in Spanish because at that time I was still taking meds for seizures that I was also taking medications for seizures. And he, I was the first one that he ever knew that also has seizures and was taking meds for them. So like that instant connection that you have when you find somebody else like you, he only wanted to be with me from that day on. <laughs> he was definitely disappointed one day when I had to stay in the sponsor's house because I had altitude sickness. But the very next day, he was so excited. He actually had a seizure in front of me. Strobe light. Someone to have a seizure, just excitement or other kind of stimulus. Yeah. Stress, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Lack okay. of sleep. There's a lot of different triggers. So. I'll give you back what you gave to me. So I, as you stepped out of this, you stepped out of the darkness. So the first mm-hmm. step you took was was going out and and walking, and, and that meant you were going to raise money for others. It's like you stepped out of yourself and started saying there's a message. Then you know you found a purpose, and part of that purpose was you were posting every day. Posting every day, you kept a commitment to yourself. And then you you set a timeline of, I, I, I did this myself in my own grief journey, is how long I'm going to be in this space. I don't know what you want to call it. I called mine like my pity party. I'm not going to be pity partying for too much longer. There's, there's a timeline. I set a timeline. Then you were willing to start telling other parts of your story. So you were sharing that you know, this is all of Courtney, um, um, you unfolded it on and, and, and making a declaration. You said, it's time not to be afraid. <laughs> so you, you declared that. And then you started to see that no matter what, you could make an impact. So you were, you were almost starting like a, a domino effect. You were posting, telling about your, your stories, your challenges, and it was inspiring other people to start sharing yours. So you had, had this impact on others. And then once again, you decided to say, you know, uh, this isn't just about me. I'm going to be an ambassador and start helping others. Mm-hmm. And part of that, that all led to you just saying, I'm accepting this. No more regrets. Yeah. No more could have, should have, would have. This is I'm accepting my story and seeing the blessings that came out of it. And that's where I love that, you know, that these were a blessings in disguise. So you, you just gave me the name for the podcast. 
<laughs> Blessings in disguise. That's what you called it, Courtney. And that is an amazing story of what you've been through. You're still smiling. You're, you're, you're still working. And it just, th- this is like a great testimony to that persistence. People, people, um, people standing up for you, advocating for you. But one of the things I want you to see within your story is that when you were suicidal, you didn't want to hurt your therapist. You had enough concern and care. And you can see you're a loving and caring person because number one, you wouldn't have these friends that are still with you. (laughs) So they're inspiring you. They're doing all this other but you had something enough to turn and say, if I do this, then that can some way hurt her. And it had you stop and do the right thing, even though you know that the right thing was going to be painful. You know, they were coming after you, right? You know, the cops were going yeah. to show up. everybody else. You stepped out of that space and you cared for someone else. And I don't know if that has anything to do that. How many times did you step out? of yourself, of your own story, so that you could help someone else within their story. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Until that point, like never, like, I mean, sometimes in like the coaching programs, when people were afraid to share those stories in the private groups, I was like, I know exactly what that thought. And then I would tell them in messenger, like my story. And then they're like, okay, I feel comfortable enough to do it now. And there was one other thing I did in February. I had this four-day EEG, like, and I was home during it, video EEG. So I did Facebook Lives every single day with it on. And it was this weird thing. Like, I looked like literally a mummy. <laughs> and they said I couldn't do anything that would make me sweat, but the whole thing that was on my head made me sweat. And I was just like, I might as well just show it and be like, this is what life, with epilepsy can be like, you know, and put it out there. Humor. So you yeah. have a sense of humor too. Yeah. Say. So you're this bright light. What, what do you say to other people who are struggling? I, I, I want to talk, you talked about the epilepsy, but the suicide and how you're, you're working on that, uh, advocating for that. What are, what would you tell other people who are just feeling, I'm just hopeless that it's desperate. What can you share from being on the other side? Um, you're not alone. Reach out to friends, family. If you have a mental health worker, reach out to them. And like, honestly, it, like I had a, such a, like, because of what the movie show and like, TV shows about mental health wars. It is so much better than that. <laughs> okay. So like, it's not that my bad. impression was, no, my impression was what I got from movies and TV. And like, it was not that bad because we had roommates. We had roommates and we did a lot of things together. Like we had, every day we had like groups and we had social workers come and we did like art therapy. We did different kinds of therapy together. We weren't alone doing it. So you came out of isolation and that's where you say it's really important. It's one of the major steps. So they're they're putting you in that space that you're not isolated anymore. Right. Well, if you look at, if, 
everything that you've been through after, could you have used that when you were feeling that down and apply these steps that you almost put into your, your plan of recovery? Could you have taken this now that you know this, if you feel that again, can you say, well, these are the steps that I need to go. Courtney needs to go to get out of this feeling. And did any of the things that you did here get you out of that feeling of hopelessness or desperation or whatever it might've been? Yeah, definitely. Because like in March, like in February, when I found out that I was going to be an epilepsy awareness ambassador, like, and it started in March, I was like, oh my gosh. And not only that, but I'm, I started in March teaching second, th- helping to teach second through fifth graders during the sermon time at my church. And it, it's going to be through May. And like, that gives me like excitement and something to look forward to each week, you know? And it's like, and then doing, knowing that I have to post at least once a week and do tag the Epilepsy Foundation and do hashtags. Like, I know there's a purpose to this. Like, there's something to do. I'm not just sitting around doing nothing, not tagging, not, you know, that I can use my story for a better, bigger purpose. Writing these tips down because they're really good. So by finding a purpose in all of this, and as you said, it almost gave me an opportunity to say, I'm accepting this. I might not like it. I might not, it might, you know, and has accepting it every day changed your outlook as well? Yeah, definitely. Because I remember the year, the first time from 99 through 2017, I was like down every day. I'm like, what? Like I was questioning every day. Why is this? Why did this happen? Why me? Like, even though there were points where I'm like, okay, it's a blessing in disguise. I still had those questions. Like, why did this come into my life? Why? Like, even though I had points where I was able to give hope to others with it, I was just like, why? Why did I have to be the one? Mm. Just saying, it's almost like you said yes to it. I'm, I'm going to say yes to this. And it sounds almost like you're trusting in something. Yeah. What would that trust be in that this will be okay now? My, um, I went back to my faith in God. Like, there was, like, because of everything, like, not being employed, not having income. Like, I got down. I was like. I wasn't trusting him anymore to like put things like the Bible says to my good for my good. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, wait a minute. He has, he has done it other times. It might not be on my timing, but <laughs> it might take longer. Like it's been nine years for the job right now. And you know, but it will come. And it's just, our timing seems like his timing seems like a long time sometimes. And it can get hopeless, like hopeless sometimes. I mean, like, but you just have to constantly remind yourself, like, and not get discouraged. And that's one thing I wasn't doing. I wasn't reminding myself about the scriptures. I wasn't reminding myself about him and his faithfulness and whose I was like, who I belong to, not 
like I'm not my I don't belong to myself you know I'm adopted into a fan like a bigger family going to church every being able to go to church every Sunday does really helps too like Whereas with the beginning of the pandemic for like a year or more, like you couldn't go every Sunday. Mm-hmm. So like that didn't help with getting fed the truth. You needed to be fed. You need to be fed yeah. the truth and remember whose you were. It's just beautiful. And I, I'm, I, I admire you that what you've been through and your authenticity and willingness to share this is just a, an amazing testimony to faith, to persistence, and for having other people in your life speaking truth into you about mm-hmm. Courtney, you have something to say. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just excited to see what's going to happen with this journey. I really and truly am to do that. So any last tips or advice? I think you've given a wealth of information. If you do have any like thing like me, like any disabilities, don't rely on what society, how we are treated by society. Because all we're told is what we can't do. We had to show them like everybody what we can do and that we're like everybody else. We have those hopes those dreams, those goals for our lives. We might not, some of us might not be able to live on our own. Some of us might not be able to drive, but we can still do other things. We we can't, shouldn't look at what we can't do. Like, yes, it's discouraging that we can't do some of that stuff like everybody else, but we have to look at the other things that we can do. We have to prove to ourselves that we aren't defined by our situation, our disabilities, what we're going through. We're defined by who we are and what we can do. True. So what uh, what dream do you have next? I'm definitely looking forward to actually having the finances so I can build a business. And what would that business be? It would be for those with disabilities and do group coaching and one-on-one coaching and then there'd be stuff in between the coaching and the books i i could see that you would be an awesome coach and part of that is because you've learned that sometimes you have to push and then sometimes Mm -hmm. you also have to encourage yeah and you have to be willing to do what you're going to be teaching otherwise right to be yeah you 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 have to be you have to be the lesson. And I think you you yeah. are a great lesson. So I wish you, wish you so much success. This was awesome. How do you feel? Good. Good? Yeah. Good. You did a great job. You thank really you. did. So thank you for Definitely your Definitely important patience. to get this out there, you know, and like, it I'm, is. Tired of be- I'm tired of being silent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired of like, just going about my day and not worrying about things like, and how this affects other people, you know, because it affects more than just those that deal with it. Like it affects families, it affects friends, it affects all of society. Right. It, because it of does. the resources needed to further those people, because there's those mental health crisis lines, there's the neurologist, there's all these specialists that you need to go to. And it affects 
all society taxpayers pay for those that can't afford it you know and so it doesn't just affect those with the disabilities or the issues it affects right. everyone and that's what society has to be taught like we're taught to adapt to society society isn't taught how to deal with us and like how to treat us yeah that's that's true and i can just see your message there's people i'm already thinking they need to hear courtney Let's get this out there. Thank you so much. I, I really do oh. want to thank you. Before you leave, I have another free gift for you. What are you looking for in your life? A new career? Stepping into your purpose? Restoring passion in your everyday life? Are you ready to step into the new life God has planned for you? And he does have a plan for you. And that gift is to experience the power of coaching. Coaching helped me through my painful journey when Joe, my husband, died. Coaching eased me through this transition to move to Florida. I wasn't sure why the Lord was bringing me here and what his plans were for me. Coaching gave me clarity. Coaching was essential in making the Hope Station podcast a reality. A dream came true working with my coaches. Coaching also brought hope to hundreds of my clients who stepped into their purpose and passion, and it all started with a free consult call. So schedule yours today. To schedule our Hope Chat, otherwise known as a coaching call, you can click the calendar link in the show notes or visit my website, dianebells.com. That's D-I-A-N-E-B-E-L-Z dot com. This coaching call could be exactly what you need to ignite a spark of hope in your life. Hope might be just one call away. Why wait? Schedule your call today.